All right, let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, if you're not already there. We have been studying the gospel, and our study has gone from very broad to very specific. We learned the broad concept of the gospel from the Old Testament, which gave us examples of news that would people would consider to be good. So you had a herald who ran uh, from the battlefield and announced the good news to David that King Saul had died. Obviously, David had a different opinion about that, but the gospel's good news. Now, that concept becomes more specific when we consider the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is specifically connected to Jesus Christ. And we observe that from Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the Christian gospel is about Jesus. More specifically, from 1 Corinthians 15, we've seen it concerns four significant historic events in Jesus' life. His death, burial, resurrection, and appearances. And then more specifically, we boil those four down to his death and his resurrection. Those are the two events that are witnessed by his burial and his appearances. So we've studied those two key events in particular, and then we honed in more so on his death. And 1 Corinthians 15 gave us three aspects of his death. Jesus died as a penalty, as a substitute, and as prophesied. The Bible says Jesus, in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now tonight we're going to turn to the second historic event. That's his resurrection. And as you can see from 1 Corinthians 15, 4, there's going to be two points. But tonight I want us to consider the timing of his resurrection. The timing of his resurrection. Let's pray. Father, help us as we go to your word now. We ask that you will use it to strengthen our hearts in regard to what we think when we think of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In our internet age, identity is important. At any moment of the day, we are called upon to verify who we are. You pick up your phone, and you can't get into your phone without your fingerprint on the scanner on the back, or without the facial recognition on the front, or without inputting some kind of code. If you're going to get into the phone, you need to prove who you are, or if you get online, you get onto an online account, you log in, all of a sudden you're given a challenge question. The computer asks you, what's the first name of your childhood best friend? Or what's the name of your first pet? You have all these questions that are there to verify who you are. Or you try to download something from the internet and an interface pops up and it says, check this box to show you're not a robot. Or enter the sequence of numbers or letters to show you're not a robot. Again and again and again, we have questions and codes that are trying to verify identity because who we are matters. Now, we've been studying the gospel of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, and our focus has been on his death. Now we turn to his resurrection. So let's look at verse 4, the second part of it, of 1 Corinthians 15. He, that's Christ, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He had died, but he came back to life. He was raised, and that 
was done permanently. He has permanently come back to life. Earlier in our study, we saw that Christ's resurrection was the great hurdle of the gospel. Everyone dies. So it's really easy for people to believe that the historical figure of Jesus died. Lots of people die. But that he came back from the dead is a phenomenon that we don't regularly observe. That's what people refuse to believe. People see that people die all the time, but they remain six feet under. But that's not the case with Jesus Christ. That's why the resurrection of Christ is the great hurdle of the gospel. His death was a certain kind of death, which does make it a matter of faith. He died as a penalty. He died as a substitute. He died as prophesied. We turn to his resurrection, and his resurrection is also unique. In and of itself, it is unique. But Paul gives us two particular aspects of his resurrection that make it unique. And the first of those two is the timing of his resurrection. He was raised on the third day. So let's consider this matter of timing, and why does it matter at all? Two points today. First, Christ arose three days after he died. And Jesus said that would happen. As we go through the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record the fact that Jesus predicted his own death. For example, Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. John's Gospel recorded the same prediction, but he does so in a more veiled way. John chapter 2 Verse 19, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now we know from verse 21 that Jesus, when he was talking about the temple, he was actually referring about his own body. In three days his body would be raised. He'd come back to life. And as Jesus predicted, just as he said, it happened. The resurrection occurred on the first day of the week. So, All the gospel accounts refer to that. We'll read Matthew's gospel. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. That's the first day of the week, Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, the verse doesn't say after three days. We'd have to do the math ourselves, but the math is clear. It's been three days. But even if we don't have the math, we can look at Luke chapter 24, which tells us what the angel said, who is there at the tomb. The angel speaks to the disciples and and says this, He, that's Christ, he's not here, but is risen. Uh, Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So given what the Gospels say, it's no surprise that Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus rose on the third day. Jesus said that he was going to, and then it happened. But does the number of days between his death and his resurrection really matter at all? Does the gospel stay intact if it were actually just a single day? Or if it were even ten days between his death and resurrection? Does the timing of his resurrection matter really at all? It does. It does matter because Jesus attached significance to the timing of his resurrection. That's our second point. Let's turn to John chapter 2. We need to see a couple passages in the Gospels. John chapter 2, we break into the story of uh, his first miracle. 
and the wedding of Canaan, and then it moves on in the chapter to the cleansing of the temple. This was early in his ministry. We remember he cleansed the temple during his Passion Week, the end of his ministry there, but also at the very beginning, during Passover time, he cleansed the temple. That's recorded in John chapter 2. And as Jesus uh, sent everyone at the farmer's market home, the people didn't like that, and they demanded an explanation. I read from the NIV in verse 18, where the Bible says, The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Just think about what they're asking. You, when you and I go to an intersection and we see that there's a man there with a vest directing traffic, we assume that he has the authority to direct traffic. We, we, we don't make an issue of it at all. But we come to the cleansing of the temple and Jesus is not wearing a reflective vest or some kind of police badge. And people are questioning, does he have the right to tell them to go home? They're mad about it, and Jesus asserts that he does have the right to do that. So they ask in verse 18, he answers in verse 19, where the Bible says, Jesus said this, Destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. Of course, that went right over their heads, because they thought he was talking about the temple building. And of course, that building took decades to build. How could he build it in three days? Of course, Jesus was talking about his body. But here's the point. Jesus said that here's a sign. You want a sign? Here's the sign or the verification of my authority. In three days, I will raise it up. As we've gone through the book of John through Sunday School with Brother Dave, we've seen that the Gospel of John has a number of signs that are, that are given, that are written for us, because they are there to verify the identity of Christ for the express purpose that people will believe into him unto their salvation so that they won't be condemned. So you have this in, in, even in chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says Jesus did this uh, as of the first of his miraculous signs in Canaan of Galilee. This is the, the uh, sign of the uh, changing of water to wine in chapter 2. In this way, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. He did the sign and people believed in him. And that comes up again and again in this book. But in the very last chapter, or in chapter 20, we have it said again. Verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And the same matter of identity is set forth in the sign of Jonah in Matthew 12. So let's turn back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. And the setting of this chapter is one of authority. The first scene is Jesus allowing his disciples to pluck heads of grain on the Sabbath day. Pharisees didn't like that. Then Jesus heals the man with a withered hand. Pharisees didn't like that. And then we come to uh, the fact that Jesus cast a demon out of a man, verse 22. Pharisees didn't like that, but the people did. They were amazed by what Jesus did. And that led them to consider, who is this person? Look at verse 23. All the people were amazed, Matthew 12, all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Their question is not his lineage. Like, 
This is a descendant of David. Their question is very specific. Is this David's greater son? Is this the Messiah, the one who is to come? And of course, that identity, that specific, significant identity, is not what the Pharisees want to think and believe. Of course, look at verse 24. The Pharisees heard it and they said, Oh, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Of course, that is just convoluted thinking. Why would the prince of demons cast out his own demons? That's self-defeating. Of course, Jesus makes that point. And as the Pharisees realize they're just losing this whole debate, what they do is demand of Jesus a sign to verify his identity. Look at verse 28 or 38. The Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus promised them the sign of Jonah. Look at verse 39. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You say, what's that? Here we go, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And this is the most specific statement of the timing between the death and resurrection of Christ. It won't be specific, just simply three days. It is specifically going to be three days and three nights. And this statement is not just said in some kind of theological vacuum, as if it's some mundane detail. The point here is that he argues for his identity, that he is the Son of Man, based on his resurrection in three days. He is David's greater son, as these people are asking him. So, brothers and sisters in the Lord, the issue of our faith isn't whether or not we believe in the historical figure of Jesus Christ that he once was alive. Even Wikipedia believes that. The critical issue is the identity of Jesus, that he is the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Son of David, the Messiah, the Creator, Sovereign, and Judge in the entire universe. That's the point. And what we must realize is that Jesus staked his identity on the timing of his resurrection. Three days was really important. You say, really? It had to be three days? Well, it had to be three days because he said that's his point. It will be three days. Of course, you might say, well, did they even understand that? Did they understand that he was really staking his his identity and who he was on that three days and then he'll rise? Well, we could turn to the end of Matthew's Gospel and we'll ask ourselves the question, why was it that there were soldiers stationed at Jesus' tomb to guard it for exactly three days? Pick up the story in Matthew 27, verse 20, or 30, uh, 62. Matthew 27, verse 62. Jesus is already dead. All the religious leaders have already screamed at him, said terrible things to him, and he's dead. And now what do they do? Verse 62. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this imposter said, while he was still alive, obviously they thought he was dead, after three days I will rise, therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. You know, why did they ask for two days, guard? Why didn't they ask for four days, guard? Why did they have to ask for three? Because they understood exactly what Jesus said. They understood that Jesus staked his identity on the timing 
of his resurrection. His resurrection from the dead after three days and three nights verifies that he is the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah. And even after that sign of Jonas fulfilled, and of course you know, the, the guards report back with everything, the Jews make up a lie and it's spread that the disciples have stolen away the body. Against all the plain evidence, after three days he rose, they just refused to believe it. Oh, but they understood what he meant. And they understood the significance of it, but they refused to believe. You know, you and I, long before we had to verify our identity by a fingerprint on our phone or the facial recognition on our phones, before we had to answer questions, challenge questions on our online accounts or put in codes, long before that, identity was still an issue. Who someone is is of great importance. And when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, it is of infinite importance. And here's the point, brothers and sisters in the Lord. The Lord be praised that you and I, by his grace, believe who he truly is. Because there are so many who refuse to believe who he truly is. Sure, he existed. But God has allowed us to understand and believe that he is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And he proved that by rising from the dead after three days. Father, help us to believe your word more and more. Believe who you are. Trust in you. And uh, Father, we are so thankful that everything that Jesus said, it happened just as he said. It gives us every reason to trust in him, not to lean on our own understanding. And Father, we pray that people will believe unto their own salvation from their sin, that they will enjoy the forgiveness of all of their sin, because Christ is the Lord who can and will forgive them. We pray praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.